Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at Rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 6 of Inside the Gilliverse, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure tonight to welcome to this evening's guest. You know him as Rich... Oh, I almost blew it. Rich Schweikart, or Schweikart and Coakley from the great television show we always talk about, Better Call Saul, actor Dennis Boutsakaris. Dennis, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It was nice to hear Michael McKean's voice at the beginning there. I want to show you that the best souvenir I've taken from the show was the first episode of the fourth season, his funeral. Yes. The prop department made funeral cards that they handed. I mean, the prop department is amazing. Oh, yeah. Anyway, but they made these 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 funeral cards. And you can see it says in memory of Charles McGill. And then on the back, I mean, it's so detailed. There's a little prayer and there's a little message from the family. And the thing is, it says Charles L. McGill. Do we know it L, his middle name L? Does anyone know what the L stands for? I we, have no idea. We need to know that. Uh, super Somebody fans, out there knows, I bet. Super fans out there were calling on you. What is the L? Charles L. McGill. Lionel? Because J- JMM is James uh, uh, Morgan McGill, right? So do we know Here's that? The other thing, Coakley, you said Schweikert and Coakley. Coakley who's, where's Coakley? Where's I know, Coakley right? Someone the, someone asked that earlier. We decided that Coakley was dead. Kind of like Marley, Scrooge and Marley. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. Dead, so we were going to change Schweikert and Schweikert. Yeah. But, um, that's that's a good one. We're already get, we're going to jump into something really cool here in just a moment, but we're getting some super chat questions coming in already, and I'm going to go find that right now. Uh, I got to find that. Is that scroll, 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 scroll? Uh, from Josh Gordon says, "What was the pocket? Uh, what was the pocket dialogue? We did not hear as to why Kim wanted to quit. So we t- we heard about pocket dialogue oh. from Ray Seahorn back in the yeah. the mailroom episode way back season one. So was her pocket dialogue recorded during that that scene? I, I don't believe so. Okay. The scene was always meant to not be heard. Okay. Um, I'm I, I'm remembering very clearly that there wasn't there was pretty much Ray, who's you know we can talk about her. She's mm-hmm. magnificent. She, she was very into telling me that she just had to leave, and I said what? And I think that was pretty much it because it was very short. Yeah. Um, uh, the way that I remember it was very short, but there was no pocket dialogue. That so there has been pocket dialogue for other scenes that I've been in that were given to Ray. Mm-hmm. Like like an hour before, and she would you know be panicked sort of. But luckily, a lot of times pocket dialogue is filmed from a distance, mm-hmm. like through a window yep. or through a door, so you can have the script right there and cheat. Look down at it for reference. Yeah, pocket dialogue yeah. is scary because oh no, pocket dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even heard the term until she explained it. And there was a, a ample uh, recording there. And all we were seeing in that scene I'm referring to was the sound of a photocopier just. But there was conversation between uh, between Jimmy and and Patrick. Well, Jimmy and and Howard. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah way no, back. I thought you meant our scene. Yeah. No, not an in hour, our no. scene. She comes in. She wants to talk to me. She comes in. I sit behind the desk. She closes the door, and you just sort of see. I don't even think you see her. You just sort of see me at the desk going, what? Yeah. And, and then she leaves. There was a little more to the scene than they actually showed. I think they cut 
they cut early because I think I had some more dialogue as she's walking away, but I don't think they used it. Okay. So. Yeah, I cut it for timing. Here's the super chat question. Know, once, you know, the, uh, sometimes they cut because they're geniuses. True. Um, you know, you film something at one point and the scripts are, you know, I'm just repeating what everybody says. The scripts are great. And it's all, it's all amazing. Uh, do you remember the party scene? I, th- I want to say it was in season four where um, uh, Jimmy McGill comes with, with uh, Ray yep. to a, a, a staff party at, at Schweikert and Coakley. Yeah. yeah. And so he's making all of these ideas about, oh, we should get, we should go skiing. You should get jackets. Come on. He's, he's making a real big ass of himself. Yeah. Um, and, the camera sort of slowly zoomed in onto me with a very serious face, taking it very seriously. And in the the filmed version, but I broke out laughing. I went, <laughs> "Oh, this guy! Ah, oh, he's fun!" And I walked away. Yeah. But in the script, I mean, in the show, when they edited it, they cut before I laughed. I thought, I thought that is brilliant because it doesn't get him off the hook. Yes. Because the next scene that you saw was her and him in the car driving home in, in silence. You know, her mortified at his behavior and him thinking, what did I do wrong? So that's that was smart. Yeah. The, so I, I, that was kind of interesting. And they do, you know, you'd see that a lot where the choices, you know, as an actor, you don't make the choices. The choices are made by the brilliant editors. And sometimes you go, oh, yeah, that that makes much more sense than what we did. And I could see when you're sitting in the editing room. Yeah. yeah, that's that's someone I haven't spoke to yet. Some of the editing team there. I want to get them on as guests as well, too, just because people loved it when I've had like, uh, I know, uh, Michael Slovis and Marshall Adams on, you know, the, with the, the cinematography and things like that. And the editors, I mean, as you can, as you've just said, what they do, you know, bring in a great piece of work already that's tremendous already to life. And I'd love to get their input. I know the fans will love that, too. So we'll, we'll talk. I think the editors, what the editors do is they assemble a cut. Mm hmm. And then they bring in the director and the director looks at it and sort of, you know, tweaks it or changes it or, you know, says fine. Um, but those editors are really the key to so much of the show. I mean, when I look at the shows, uh, you know, after shooting them and then a few months go by and then I finally see them, uh, I think these are like little films. Yeah. They're so much like little films. They're just so well. And you were talking about that last week about the... Um, the conference room scene that we did that mm-hmm. we were all Aaron Rex and Ray and uh, Bob and um, the time that they took to make it. I mean, they fussed so much with these, these vertical blind curtains. I think they were vertical blind. I it, think it, so. it was just like getting the light exactly right. And by the way, that was the first time when we shot that scene, that was the first time that we all saw the commercials that he had made. They showed them to us and we were dying laughing. They were so funny. <laughs> So funny. I couldn't wait for, you know, I couldn't tell anybody, but I, I know, you know, before I get into the next super chat question, I want to jump over and say some birthday wishes here in a second as well, too. But this is kind of a nice milestone for me tonight, too, because that was one of my favorite. First of all, Tom, it's Tom is one of my best friends. I love him to death. He wrote the Wexford versus Goodman. Um, And that that scene, there's a scene where I I froze it and whatever. And you see all of you guys, uh, uh, there's there's Jimmy, there's uh, yourself, there's Kim, there's uh, Kevin and Paige. As of tonight, I've had all of you on the show from that scene. That is very, very special to me. All right. Yeah. Now, Bob's only been here for 15 minutes. He came on as a surprise guest and crashed our party when we had Peter Gould on. But that was Uh fun because we kept a secret from Peter, and it was a nice surprise. Threw him for a loop. But we have a super chat, super chat question from Lisa Love. She says, Rich was one of the only people to call Kim on her shit and even apologize. Do you feel it was authentic or faked? Kim apologized? 
Um, Rich was the only one of, of the people to call Kim on her shit. And oh, yeah, even, oh, she even, even, yeah, yeah, correct. yeah, and she apologized. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I, I think in the moment, my sense of that was that Rich, me, um, admired uh, Kim's talent so much and wanted her to be part of this team and was a little confused at her behavior. And, um, you know, it troubled him. It troubled him. He didn't want her to quit. Yeah. Um, uh, actually horrified that he, she was quitting. So I, I guess I think that I would say that Rich probably hoped that it was for real, but always in the back of his head knew knew that she was in a relationship with Jimmy slash, you know. Mm-hmm. But but uh, didn't know that they got married. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I didn't, I mean, you know what? I didn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, See, that's what I would love to tell you about this, but do your, you're going to do birthdays. Yeah. Let's do, let's do that in a second. We're going to jump back over to uh, some super chat questions as well too. So obviously got to say a happy birthday, belated birthday to the captain of the ship, Vince Gilligan. I believe it was Thursday. Uh, I've, I've kind of lost track. Maybe it was Wednesday because today's Friday. I think it was Wednesday. Anyways, this week, Vince Gilligan. So a happy belated birthday to the captain of the ship. He'll be on not next Friday, but the Friday after. So check that out. And uh, maybe if I could be so kind or you could be so kind, if I ask you, I've got my beautiful better, better half, Nicole. Cole, it's her birthday tomorrow, turning 50. Maybe we can have a happy birthday to her. Happy birthday. All right. Thank you. All right. So the, uh, so one of the directors of, um, of Saul, uh, the director who directed the, the Pixar film, Wally. Yes. Uh, he directed one, maybe more than that, but I was in one of them. And he told us that at Pixar, when it's somebody's birthday, they sing happy birthday as slow as possible. Oh, really? That it became this very strange joke. And then after a while, they do it all the time. Where they go, happy birthday. He said, because when you sing happy birthday, by the time you get to the second line, you go, God, I wish the song was over. Okay. <laughs> so he said, they, so it becomes, it's like a little thing they do all over Pixar. They sing. Isn't very, that something? It sounds, yeah, it, very funny. It, it sounds laborious and sad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like really is this do I really want to celebrate a birthday again? Yeah, exactly. We're gonna you're gonna tell me a story in just one second. There's a super chat from Rogava says, Hi Dennis, love your performance. You had so many one-on-one scenes with Ray. What was your most memorable or challenging slash fun scene you recorded? That could be a tough one. No, not so tough at all. Uh the most I mean uh, they were all fun because of her. I mean I mean, let's let's just go down this path for a second. She, I mean, there's there's nobody better mm-hmm. than Ray. There's people that are different, but there's nobody better. And she, her work ethic, is um, is really admirable and so different than 99.9999 percent of TV work that I've seen around me in my life. I mean, just last year. I, well, anyway, I won't. But but, but I've been in situations where. Uh, the actors that you're working with are reading off cue cards. And when it's time to turn around on you, they go off and you have to do it with the stand-in because they're too busy not learning their lines mm-hmm. with the cue cards. So, so uh, uh, I admire her so much. So the scene that I, you know, it was the first scene I had with her. Okay. It was the scene in the uh, restaurant that Mike Slovis directed um, where I tried to woo her to come to, the, um, to, my, to Schweikert and Coakley. Uh, throwing all these things at her. You know, I offered to pay for her college. Mm-hmm. You know, I told her this long story about my um, about my early days myself as a, as a young lawyer. 
and how I didn't think that they had her back at H M and M and M and M and M. So, um, and, 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 you know, in the next episode, she came in for an interview, but she didn't take the job, but that, that was an amazing, that was long is it was like seven or eight pages of a monologue. Yeah. And that's another thing you never get in, um, in television yeah, anywhere. I mean, you know, eight page monologue, <clears throat> I was scared to death, but she was very, she was great. She was very helpful. And she wrote me a long letter afterwards. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a great, it's a very positive place. Isn't that nice? Yeah. We'll, we'll do another quick question. And I want to come back because there is a story. Oh, you you know wanna... what? I'm not seeing these questions in the chat. Oh, no, I you know can... why? Because you, you're seeing that link I sent you in the Zoom chat. If, if yeah. you click that, it might open up another browser, which will, and it may, it may, it may actually uh, throw a loop for you. You can try it, see what happens. But it's going to open right, up. If, and... I, if I don't see, if I, it disconnects, let's have a nice life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> try it and see what oh, happens. I, I see. Okay. I got it. Okay. Yep. So somehow I have to. And then you can change that from live chat or from top chat, it might say to live chat. You want to try to get it to live chat. So it'll be the most recent questions from people. I see. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. It'll be distracting. It's hard to say. I, I'll, I'll make sure I funnel them to you. And we're also getting them from our good moderator head as well too, Karina. She's uh, voice texting me the, some of the, uh, the questions as well too. So after okay. we do this question here from Pinterest fail mom, we're going to come back and talk about uh, uh, your, your first experience. And that's something I was going to ask you later on in the program, but you told me such a wonderful story off the air. A start of it. We'll share that with everybody now. Uh, so there's actually, there's two, there's two super chats. Uh, Pinterest fail mom. She, actually, this is super chat from Jen Stevens first. She's says what was it like to play mozart on broadway and the first american uh to play uh, to play that right yeah um i was the first american i was mozart and frank langella was salieri and um you know it was hard <laughs> yeah you know when i look back at it now i can't imagine doing it but but uh we rehearsed in england at the national theater in england he and i were there together and um then we came back and we did it for a year on Broadway. And so, you know, like anything, it had ups and downs. And, and Frank is, um, what's the best way to say this? Frank is challenging. Yeah. At, at best, at, or at worst. At, at best, he's a terrifically funny, very funny guy. He told me a funny story that I always remembered that when the first movie he did uh, was 12 Chairs with Mel Brooks in Yugoslavia. Um, and Mel Brooks found out that the word for please was molem. So he would do- laugh hysterically when he would go, roll em, molem. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Frank up. is quite the raconteur. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was very hard. I mean, uh, I, uh, the play is very different than the movie. Yeah. And um, just in terms of the way it's structured and, uh, um, and it was big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I think with something like that, when you're replacing on Broadway, you, you know, you're coming into a machinery that's already, it's like a big clock and you're just like a cog in it. So you have to sort of, weave around everybody else mm-hmm. and kind of learn, you know, and they've been doing it for a while and then you come in. So that, it, it was, it was a lot to learn. You know, I had a wig that I had to wear a couple yeah. of wigs. Yeah. That was kind of difficult. So. I had a note about, I'm glad, I'm glad this was asked tonight because I had a note about your Broadway performance and a lot of people I talked to that have had uh, theater experience love it because there's no safety net. You know, you're, you're flying by the seat of your pants sometimes, literally, and you know, you don't, okay, let me do that again. Let's, let's try another take. You know, you got, it's sink or swim sometimes, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you have much more control of your performance than when you do tv or film because in tv and film you don't know if they're going to play a violin underneath what you're saying or whether they're going to cut to the other person while Mm -hmm. you're talking or whether they're going to cut your line at all that's right that's right so i mean so you have a lot more control that way and also it's uh 
it's incredibly satisfying. I mean, that's, you know, if you, you know, if it's like once a week, if it's pretty good, you know, yeah. you know, if you have a good night. <laughs> uh, this so, is, no, I've done a number of Broadway plays. Good, good. Yeah. And it's, uh, check out the IMDB for other stuff that's, uh, you know, not Broadway, but it's absolutely amazing as well too. And something that's not Broadway. Here's a comment that I like here from Pinterest fail mom. She says, uh, one of the first films I ever saw was batteries not included. What are the differences? And I love that. Uh, what are the differences you have found in shooting a film versus shooting a TV show? And he was, so there, we've got theater, television, and the big screen. You want to share maybe? Well, some t- uh, first of all, Batteries Not Included was great. It was a yeah. really fun experience. And I got to really be close to Hume Cronin um, uh, and Jessica Tandy. Not so much. She was tough to know, but Hume Cronin I did. And um, Elizabeth Pena, who passed away a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, it, so it was my first, you know, big film and uh uh it was a, it was a, a great experience i'm sorry i'm not particularly articulate about it other than to say it was a great experience mm-hmm. and it was so but there was a lot of things about it like it was a one of the first ilm films you know industrial light like magic, magic yeah um uh that was not a star wars movie yeah you know, they had just sort of started doing that like lucas actually came down a few times because because the little robots i don't know if, if people know the movie there's these little little spaceships that come and save these people in this tenement building and um uh you know the spaceships it wasn't like today it was cgi the computer thing was not quite there yet yeah there was like they had the spaceships dangling on these wires and they'd cover the wires with flowers so that the light wouldn't reflect off of it. And then they'd have to reshoot. We did, we did some stuff on green screens, you know, or we'd have to practice the couple of us going duck, you know, like over and over. (laughs) And the guy would walk around with the, with a spaceship, you know, like here, just follow your eye, follow your eye. And then we'd have to do it like a thousand times before we got it right. Oh, wow. So it wasn't these days where you just, and then, you know, stick it. So it was a lot of, a lot of fun. We shot in New York and in, um, Los Angeles. And part of uh, batteries not included is the tenement building burns down Mm -hmm. and then the spaceship people rebuild it, but it burns down. And what they, they built a three sided facade of an apartment building on the lower East side, like on Avenue D and Mm -hmm. third street, the the neighborhood community people were very upset that Spielberg was burning down an apartment. Oh, geez. They needed this housing and and they had to go to a community meeting and say, folks, it was fake. It was, you walk, we built. It probably looked really legit, didn't it? Oh yeah. Well, if you see the movie, yeah. Yeah. It's a very sweet film. I'm very happy that I was involved with it. Yeah. That's something obviously for sure. We always close to your heart. A good, a good, nice story, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's sweet. And Hume Cronin was a, a delight. Amazing person. That's awesome. Uh, this is from a super chat from Nat Romero. Nat says, uh, do you feel that Rich was too good to Kim? Like, unbelievably so. Was Kim such a good lawyer that he would have her at all costs? And P.S. You are great on the show. Well, thank you, Matt. Was that uh, Nat, Nat Romero, Natalie Mar- Nat. Romero. Thank you, Nat. Um, well, I, I mean, I think I said this before. I think he believed in her. I think she, I think that one of the arcs of Better Call Saul is she, she is a great lawyer. And um, that's what's so disturbing about her turning to the dark side uh, as she did in the last couple episodes uh, of season five, because she, is she gonna use, I mean, nobody, I certainly don't know. I mean, is she gonna use her powers for good or ill, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, but we saw all through the five seasons, she would enjoy when she and Jimmy would do these little, you know, huckstery things in bars and stuff. So, but anyway, I think she was a, 
I think, yes, I think that Rick thinks that she's a terrific lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. So he wanted her pretty much at all costs for sure. Yeah. Well, he wanted her, wanted her in his uh, law firm and was willing to put up with her pro bono crap. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which I think that maybe Schweikert, um, you know, thought, well, yeah, you have to do that. Yeah. Uh, Schweikert kind of evolved because he was a little bit, um, the way he was written because he was a little bit slimy at first, yeah. you know, defending the nursing home um, or, the, yes. or defending the practices of the nursing home. But slowly he became much more of a, a menschy kind of uh, guy because he cared about her. I yeah. I, I greatly admired your character as well, too. You know, I mean, I, I really, really did. And a lot of, lot of dialogue, which is good. And do you, do you have a hope? And I mean, I know there's some things you, you, uh, you can't say, obviously, and I wouldn't ask anything that you can't say, but do, do you have a hope that we'll see uh, you, uh, Rich on the screen again in season six? It's funny that you would say that there's things I can't say. There's nothing that I can say because there's nothing that I know. There you go. I, okay. I, I literally know nothing. So yeah. I wouldn't even, you know, I would love to, be a part of it, but they have a lot of storylines mm-hmm. going. There is a lot. And, uh, and, and that's the first thing. And secondly, they have, here's breaking bad and here's Saul and we're getting very close to it. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know where I, I don't know. I would yeah. love to some, you know, there's, I would hate to even make a guess because I'm told that when uh, the writers hear something that an actor suggests, they don't do it. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, like, but, but you've probably heard, uh, and your audience probably has heard all of these different theories about what happened to Kim. Yeah, I know, you know, uh, so I'm very, you know, the hashtag save Kim or don't mm-hmm. let Kim die. So I'm, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful, but who knows? I, I love the people and, uh, yeah. That was a question I was going to ask you tonight too, why if, you know, being a fan of the show outside of the show, everyone's worried about Kim. So you've kind of addressed that. We're all kind of hanging by sitting, you know, at the seat, the edge of our seats waiting to see what happens to her. Right. Well, because I mean, I'm saying what everybody knows is she disappears. Yeah. Bread, yeah. And then where is she up there at the Cinnabon place? Is she hiding? Is he talking to her on the phone ever? So many um, theories, right? You know, did she go to jail? Is she dead? He, she, do, do, you know, I heard one podcast doing a very deep dive into the show saying, well, at one point in Breaking Bad, he mentions that he was married at one point. Mm-hmm. So maybe he got, they got married and they got, I mean, you know, well, they did get married. Yeah. So, but they had two wives, yeah. I think is, was the point. So who knows? A lot of theories. Sometimes they know more than the writers actually do, you know, because uh, yeah. they, the writers haven't even thought of these things. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think they have. Yeah. I think they have. There was a great article in the New York Times um, at the beginning of uh, maybe the fourth season where it talked about putting together an episode of Saul and it showed the board with all of the little index cards. Yeah, Tom's notes. There were, did you ever see that picture? Mm-hmm. Thousands of thousands of them. It yep. just, you thought, oh my God, they're doing a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that's Tom and his index cards. That's that's his baby. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Here, here is a super chat question from, and I promise I'm going to get to this really cool theory in a, or story in a second, uh, from Rugava. Rugava says, if I may ask, ask another question, I've admired Rich for how calm and composed he is and how he reads between the lines. What aspects of Rich Schweikart's character do you admire or share in real life? You seem very calm. You, you're pretty calm all the time. Do you have a character trait that you share? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so far, at least. Boy, anyways. I got you fooled. Uh, yeah. I got you fooled calm. Um, it's at T. I, I, you know, I don't share any any character traits with um, Schweikert. I don't think, except I, I, 
in life, I'm just an adore Ray. Yeah. So maybe that there's that. Um, so maybe that, yeah. I, I don't think I do. I mean, I, I, I don't think I do. I mean, I, I'm certainly, I'm not a lawyer, although, yeah. you know, my children think I'm a lawyer. So I, yeah. they don't know I'm an actor. You've played so. one enough. It's not just for your first time in Better Call Saul, that's for sure. No. Well, when you've when you played enough lawyers on I went through the period where I started playing a lot of lawyers. Um, you know, you learn how to write your lines in a yellow pad. Yeah. You know, and you, you, you know, you learn to make faces like this or like this or scribble. You know, there's a lot, you got like about 10 things you can do while you're listening to, <laughs> to um, witnesses. You think I never, I never won a case on law and order. No, no. I was on it. I was on it practically every season and I never, the same lawyer, they gave me the worst defenses. Oh, come on. You got to have no, one I win. Never, well, you can't win against Sam Waterston. No, true. With all the legal experience you've had, do you think you could get yourself out of a ticket or something like that? You think you could be your own lawyer? No, I, I literally about two years ago, yeah. not a ticket, but a guy, a, a policeman pulled me over for, uh, going through a stop. It was like 12 o'clock at night and I didn't stop completely. I rolling it, stop. Uh, rolling stop. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he stopped me and he looked at me and he went, Oh, you're that guy on TV. And I went, yeah. And he said, all right, uh, just be careful now. Went, all right. So <laughs> I was really lucky. Yeah. That's what we call here in Canada. Get out of jail. I, I'm wondering which guy on TV he thought I was. Okay. Yeah. I, I pulled into a toll booth once and this woman said, you look like that guy on TV. Said the toll booth clerk. I said, yeah, I am that guy on TV. She said, yeah, you look just like him. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's because I am him. Yeah, we have a striking. I am, you know, I yeah. am him. What, come on, look at the hat. I got the hat right there. That's right. Yeah, you, you look just like him. We have crazy questions coming in by the minute here. I can't keep up with them. This is awesome. This is a super chat from Dilly Diamonds. Dennis, Dilly Diamonds. Hello, yes. Dilly Diamonds. Uh, tell us about getting the phone call to come back in season two. Did you know you'd be coming back? Uh, was no. a call from a casting or Peter's Vinch? Or just watch your first episode from season one today. What was the last part of that? Uh, so it, this person just watched the, my first episode. Today? Yeah, season one, your Rico, first episode. Or, yeah. or, or is it called Rico? Yeah. Let me tell you about, first of all, I was thrilled to death to come back. I didn't know that mm -hmm. I would. You know, you certainly don't know. And that's part of what I want to tell you is, is um, do, you have, do you have a few minutes? I, let's go for it. This is the story we're trying to get to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, when actors audition for things these days, they watermark the script because they don't want the script to get out into the internet. And if it goes on the internet and has your name on it, then they know where it came from. So, you know, to protect the, the storylines and keep a surprise and, you know, rightly so. But also a lot of times, and specifically with this show, they sent me uh, to do a self-tape in New York, because I live in New York, I'm not out in LA, um, uh, a, a made up scene, of, not of Schweikert, of just something else, just sort of something with legalese in it, I guess, and something, I can't quite remember. So I had no idea. I had no idea what the show was. I, I didn't, I, you know, when they said they're doing this show called Better Call Saul, I said, well, that's a stupid name. What, what, what is this? And they said, well, it's Breaking Bad. Oh, I never watched Breaking Bad. I'm more of a Borgen, you know, Downton Abbey guy. Sure. But, but I, you know, I've gone to the dark side. I'm totally into Breaking Bad. But so uh, I did that. Didn't think twice about it. And then a month later, my agent called and said, um, well, they want you to do this show. And I said, oh, what show is that? And What's that? That's the thing you did the thing for. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, is it in New York? No, it's in Albuquerque. Albuquerque. Yeah, so you're going to fly to Albuquerque on like Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then they sent me, they sent me just the scenes. 
Okay. The scene, if you remember this episode, you may not remember, but the scene was first, there was a scene with he and I having a phone conversation with him in a dumpster. Beautiful. In my office because he had sent me this thing on toilet paper. The magic flute. The magic, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right, the magic flute. Yeah. And then, um, and then the scene at Chuck's house yeah. where we uh, negotiate and then they pull this, uh, they ask for $20 million. That's all that I got. Nothing about the, nothing else about the show. Mm-hmm. So I get there and um, I, I want to say this too. I got to the hotel and most of the times when you go to, to a film set on location or TV set on location, you get like a little stapled thing with the, like an address for a pizza parlor and like, you know, where the bank is, sure. and, you know, a map, you know, yeah. but this, when I got to the hotel, there was a letter from Bob talking about how much he loved and I want to say this, I, I knew who Bob Odenkirk was. I watched like two or three of the Breaking Bad episodes before I went down. Just so I, I, so I saw the shows where he got introduced. So I'd be a little familiar with him. But I knew him. And the minute I saw it, I said, oh, yeah, I know that guy from the David Cross, uh, Bob Odenkirk. Mr. Show. Mr. Show. Mr. Show. Well, that, that you know, that scene where uh, David Cross says, can I use this chair for this audition scene is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I, anyway, so I thought, oh, this comedian, he's a comedian. He's going to... So I, I, but there was this letter from him that was very sort of heartfelt about how much he uh, was happy to be in Albuquerque and um, he liked the people in Albuquerque and hoped he would like it too. A suggestion, rent a bicycle, go down the Rio Grande. I love doing that. And I thought, well, that's, this is, hmm, oh, okay. Well, this is not like uh, normally is, all right. No. So now I go the next day, I go there and this is, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna tell you about the smell. Uh, the the first thing that I see for breakfast isn't like, you know, Twizzlers in a bowl and pre-cut carrots like you get a lot of places. Mm-hmm. It was the quinoa pancakes. Oh, quinoa. Yeah, yeah. We have that here. Quinoa pancake. Yeah, but you don't see that on a TV set. No, you quinoa do not. Quinoa pancake. No. So, I, okay. Now I go into the studio and there's Bob in the dumpster. Hi, how do you do? Nice to meet you. Yes, hi, hi. He gets into the dumpster, and I'm off camera doing the lines for the uh, the phone call. Okay. And uh, he's in the dumpster, and I'm watching him work, and he's asking for more garbage, give me more crap, throw more. So it's gooey. It's, and I'm thinking, this is um, this is not a prima donna. This is a guy who's really working hard and trying really hard to do what he's doing. We must have done it. You know, there's nothing about TV. The dirty secret TV is you do two or three takes and you move on. He must have done it like 15, 20 times. I mean, wow. and he wanted more garbage and he went, and I'm off camera. So now we're going to go do my, is this going on too long? I, I could really. No, please keep going. Okay. So, so uh, about a few hours later, now we're going to go to my location for my office. And it's going to be dark. And I'm thinking, you know, Bob probably won't be there. will be a script person. It's like 10 o'clock at night and he's there and he's there to read his off screen lines. So now I'm, I'm going, I, you know, I, I don't show it, but I'm thinking to myself, this is a very, this is like a, everybody's in a team player kind of mood and people are working really hard. And I really like, and there was very, uh, at one point I wanted to use a pen. Yeah. They said, oh, oh, you want to use a pen? Okay. They took like 10 pictures of different pens and had to send it to LA to find out which pen I could use. Really? Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, they had to be, it had to be, you know, the right period. It had to be what they think of as something rich Schweikert at that point would have. Okay. So I have that. So the next day uh, or a couple of days later, now I go to, we do Chuck's house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, oh, 
First, we do the scene exterior, and there's a point to all this, I promise. So we get to the, we do the exterior of Chuck's house where he says to me and these two guys who are playing my assistants, um, you, you need to take off your watch and you need to hand in your uh, uh, cell phones. Anything yeah. that zings or something, you lick it, we need to take off. Now, I had no idea what he was talking about. Okay. My line okay. was, my line was, oh, I've heard about this. So I thought it was, oh, in, I never thought to ask. And I thought, oh, it must be that uh, they don't want any pictures taken or they're just being, you know, there's a secure thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't know anything about, you know, Chuck's magnetic issue. condition. Yeah. Nothing about it. But stupidly, I didn't ask either. The next day, now we're at the studio, this beautiful set of Chuck's apartment to do the scene. And we're <laughs> sitting with the other actors. And I'm thinking, it's really dark in here. It's really freaking dark. What? I tell you, this, like, what, what do you think? It's just well, maybe they'll turn on the lights when we actually shoot the scene because we're rehearsing. They don't do it. There's a lot of you know a lot of smoke fog, so you have the yeah, see the of beams light. coming in. Yeah, I think okay, it's artsy. I guess this is really strange. That it's so dark. I never said anything to anybody other than these two guys, and we only talked about it for a second. I didn't know that Chuck had a problem until I saw the episodes. So the first couple of episodes when they were on the air, nobody ever told me anything. Wow, isn't that funny? Yeah. That is, yeah. And that's funny that you mentioned that too, as well, having like, having some smoke because you see the just the natural light, you know, or fake light. It's supposed to be natural light coming in and as a beam, just like you'd be at a concert, right? Yeah, and that is something else. And and we yeah, go back. It was and you, very funny. It was and it was kind of a oh my god. Well, of course, of course, this, this is, explains it. No electricity can't have I've it. Bored many people with that story because it, it really it really amused me that and and that's you know it's after a while because now I'm not. Um, now I was part of the family. I would actually get the full scripts and sort of yeah. find out what the hell was going on. But, but you know, up until then, I, I you know, I didn't well, know. Well, that's a real nice testament about Bob as well, too, because easily for that those night scenes, that could have easily been read by us as anyone standing in. Anybody could. Ninety nine percent of the time, that's what it would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, and it was great. And he was always like that. He's always like that. He is, he is the he is such a hard worker. Um, that's the thing about Ray too. I've, and the reason that this goat thing happened, yeah, <laughs> this 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 goat thing that Rex talked about, yep, was we. I was on a I was on a text thread with um, Kara and Rex and Ray before I came to Albuquerque. I'd okay. never met Kara or Rex. Yeah. Uh, I'd met Ray, but we were trying to figure out the timing for having a rehearsal. Having a rehearsal, people don't rehearse in TV. Sure, but having a rehearsal uh, at Ray's house when we all flew into town in the next day or so. And in that text thread, um, Karis said to Ray, oh, we got you something in Santa Fe. Okay. And I, because I'm obnoxious, wrote, <laughs> I want a present too. So, <laughs> so when I came, they, they gave me, this was the tchotchke that they gave me. And when they gave it to me, I thought, well, all right, okay, thank you. Great. What am I going to do with this? Well, I ended up taking a lot of pictures of it, okay. and making little movies of it, and just to amuse Rex and Kara, who are, who are absolutely terrific, wonderful people. They certainly are. I talked that week that Rex was on the show, I think I talked to him about five or six times. It was amazing. Like, you know, there's a three-hour time difference between, you know, his time zone and mine. What, he, what were you talking about? that goat and 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 of course talking talking about you talking about we're talking drums and guitar we talked about everything oh yeah that thing about the drums is a beautiful story about him and reba yeah he actually called me in character literally out of the clear blue he told me he's gonna be calling me during that week and i never know when to expect his call yeah and the first call i got was an unknown number because i didn't have my contacts yet i almost didn't answer the phone i get these long distance calls sometimes i don't know him. i'm not answering them 
And then I said Los Angeles. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a chance, right? I thought maybe I want a trip around, uh, you know, to the States or something. It's, it's, yeah, this is Kevin Wattell. Um, I'm here from Mesa Verde. I, I heard you're looking for a loan. I played along with it right away. Yeah, I'm looking at a new Camaro. My mind's getting old. I want, and then we talked for about 10 minutes in character. And I'm finally like, all right, let's get down to business. But he, used to, he treated me like he was my long lost buddy. And it just got better and better and better. He called me one night. He goes, oh, I'm sorry to call you so late. I know it's probably your bedtime in Canada. And I even missed a call with him one night because I actually I was in bed right but after. He was being really irritating. So after a while, did you say, okay, enough with the jokes? <laughs> I, I think I've got, I think I've blocked him now. I think he's blocked on my cell phone. Okay, so that's, that's the only way to deal with it. Yeah. Him. Yeah. He, he talks so much. If he went to Florida, his tongue would get sunburned. It that's might. Sunburned. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good one. I'll, I'll save that one. I'll go back and I'll timestamp this for sure. Hey, uh, we're going to jump into some audio questions here momentarily. And I think a couple questions? of them are going to be repeats kind of a one another, but each, each person that submitted them, they're all from ladies tonight. Um, oh, they're, ladies. there's, they're similar, but enough, uh, there's enough difference between them. But before I do that, there is a super chat from Lisa love it says, uh, did you find it strange when Kim went back in to negotiate? Uh, both of you guys went in, uh, to working with Mesa Verde. She didn't ask you first and just, and you just followed rich Bay basically agreed with everything Kim said to him. Yeah, she really took the the bull by the horns, went in there, uh, Rich followed along. But um, did, did you find that strange how that scene happened? No, because it was always her baby. Right. I think I was just there to make sure everything worked out fine. It's kind of the way that I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really did think it's her I mean, when she and I went to their office, is that what they're, she's asking? Yeah, yeah. Like the, the scene where the two of us go to the office and then we're, we don't know what to do. And then she comes up with an idea. And exactly. I come up, I go along with it. Yeah. I, I did think uh, at the end of that scene, I was a little bit, um, I thought maybe she'd gone overboard. Yeah. By the way, that's probably Rex it, texting you right now. Uh, no, it's my, my friends. Who okay. Are <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. excited about McCarthy's phone call. Okay. Um, um, Going back into the office, so. Yeah, when we went back to the office, I think that I was a little like, she's maybe gone a little bit overboard, but I'm going to go with her anyway. She was really motoring. That whole scene, she and I were walking, and I said, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? She, she, just, she marched away from me, yeah. which I thought was a great choice. Um, and I just sort of had to follow her. I, 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 you know, these questions about my experience, my, my feeling about her, I think that I always felt that she was a very, very good lawyer. Yeah. And that. She was not, there was something, there was something wrong. There was something clearly, you know, I wanted to um, in, have some sort of intervention with her, her, because clearly there was something that was not right. And, uh, you know, I, I was right. Never a follower, a leader. She was a leader for sure. Oh yeah. Or a bit of a rebel. Yeah, exactly. And we're seeing more, we're seeing that now, especially uh, to the tail end of uh, season five for, and that we're going to see what gets with that. Thing. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Um, there was something else I was going to put. Oh, that was, we talked about this off the air. That was that magic scene too, that Tom wrote basically like, okay, so it all went good. Uh, Kevin says, okay, we'll see you Thursday. And you're like, all right, Kevin. All right. Well, we'll get out of your hair. And that was just yeah. such a funny moment, right? A person, you know, that he talks about with that, a little bit of the shininess he has up there and get out of the hair. That was a good one. A nice, a nice play on words for sure. Yeah. We're going to jump now over to the audio section. So I have it in order. This is from Karina. Karina is one of our two head moderators. She has some uh-huh. other great people working with us Are as well. all these people in Canada? Uh, no, they're all around. They're all around the world. Karina is from the States and uh, uh, Lori is uh, from, I believe, from Michigan. And we've got uh-huh. a couple others. I'm not 100% sure, but some of the questions that have come in tonight, we talked about Nat Romero earlier. She's over in Barcelona, Spain. Wow. We, it's, it's around the world. People are staying up to three or four o'clock in the morning overseas right now to, to see this. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Time to go to bed, everybody. <laughs> exactly. So this is from Karina, queued up, ready to go for you. And there are going to be some similarities here, but we'll get through them. And it'll yeah, be I'll some... say the same answer. It'll yeah, very similar. much. Yep. Hi, Dennis. My name is Karina. My question is, how did you get started narrating audiobooks? Seems like you have a very busy side career with that, and you do have a great voice for it. Thank oh. you from a fellow Greek. From a fellow ah. Greek. Uh, thank you, Karina. Um, I'm half. I'm actually half Greek and half Jewish. Yep. I go to confession, but I bring a lawyer. <laughs> she pointed that out too, and she said, "I got to tell you this because she says her last name is Liaokos, if I'm pronouncing it right. So L I A K O S. She says I was blessed with a short Greek name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Greek names are tough. I could tell you a story about that, but I won't. Okay. Um, um, uh, audiobooks. I've done about 150 of them. Um, and thank you for telling me I have a nice voice for it. I, I, I fell into it. It was, um, I was doing a play, a hit play uh, called Sight Unseen off Broadway. And I was playing a Jewish artist. And there was a book at Simon & Schuster that had an, uh, the, the main character was a Jewish artist. And Simon & Schuster asked me to do it. And I did it. I was scared to death because I, and um, slowly but surely it snowballed into, uh, I've done, I've done, you mean, I've done a couple of Philip Roth titles. I've done Don DeLillo. I've done John Grisham and three or four of his books I did at one point. I've done, I did the Mueller Report. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I, I did it for the Washington Post. It was a, it was this sort of army. There was a, there was about four or five of us all over the city uh, taking different sections of it the day that it came out so that the next day it would be available as an audiobook from the Washington Post. So I did the uh, Russian section, if you, if you know your Mueller report. Okay. Um, so, uh, and things like that. And, uh, and I've done also really terrible books. Have you? I mean, just, like you just books you go, who would want, but you know, people. I guess, right. And I've also, you know, there's some people who hate my voice. Really? I mean, I've got some of the, some, ter <laughs> yes. Well, you know, reviews like on Amazon or audible. Yeah, uh, you, know, you never want to read them, but uh, you know, occasionally I do, and it's just sometimes people just can't stand they your pronunciations and things like that. But anyway, okay, well, thank there you, you very go. much. And um, um, I'm trying to think if I've done one recently. I did Paul Simon's biography last year. Nice, which is kind of interesting. Except in that book, at one point he the guy does the lyrics to some of the songs. Like he'll talk about, something, and then there's a page, and I had to read them. Like, hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you, you know, just like shoot me. Just exactly. Shoot me. Yeah. That's like, uh, that's like narrating like a Metallica so you can destroy, you know, like we're yeah. searching. When you read so you lyrics, sometimes they don't really stand up on their own. <laughs> no, that's um, right. We come from never. And never I also mind. did, um, just to finish this, I did uh, a couple of years, like two years ago, I, I was picked as the best audio book of the year by Amazon uh, for a book called uh, The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Um, uh, an amazing science book. Nice. And I think we're actually going to have a question about one of the awards as well, too. Just before I go to that, the Saul Goodman Twitter uh, is jumping in. It says, Dennis, Eric, everyone in chat. This is a super chat from him. Uh, just stopping to say hello and supporting the show. Still recovering from COVID complications. Uh, oh. Love to you all. Yeah, had some uh, heart problems, heart complications after uh, recuperating from COVID. So we're wishing Saul Goodman Twitter uh, the oh. best of recovery. Yeah, man. Yes. Uh, so here comes another uh, audio question, um, and this is from Lori, and it's going to be very similar um, to the the audio books, but we'll see what's different about it. This is from Lori, and by the way, Karina is an, is in Annapolis, Maryland. Oh, cool. Hello there, Dennis. This is Lori. I know that you've done a lot of audio books and received several awards for your work. 
Could you tell us how all of that started? Do you have a favorite or special one that comes to mind? And what made Frank Muller your favorite narrator? Thank you so uh-huh. much. Good. So we touched base on that. And what, was there oh, something that made it your favorite? Frank Muller. Well, he, uh, he tragically, he was, he, I think he was hit by a car. There was some terrible accident. Mm. He passed away. And he was Stephen King's favorite narrator. Okay. And um, so th- that's how I heard him because then I, be- I became Stephen King's narrator for uh, two or three of his books. Uh, and that's actually one, one of my favorites. I- I'd never, you know, just like I had never watched Breaking Bad until I was, my nose was rubbed in it. And I went, oh my God, this is spectacular. I, I never read a Stephen King book. It never mm-hmm. really appealed to me. And then I, when I had to read one out loud, I realized what was so great about them. And it wasn't just sort of plot storyline. It was um, also his, he, he, he had a fantastical imagination and a great use of language. So it was fun. I did one called Firestarter, which I was proud of. And I can't remember the other one. And, and, the, and then the, the, the Philip Roth books, I'm very, I'm very proud of. I did one called Nemesis. I did one called American Pastoral. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's always good to do a great, writer like Philip Roth, because you, it's easy to read. Yeah. You know, when you read somebody who's not a good writer, you realize one, they didn't read it out loud to see how clumsy it is or that they repeated the same word here that they're doing now three lines down. Mm-hmm. You know? there's, I, also, there's, a, there's an engineer in New York in the audiobook in the fast paced world of audiobook <laughs> who, uh, who says that in every audiobook there's a horse. And okay. so when you're reading a book and there's a horse, like people go, Oh, a horse. It's like a big thing. Okay. That's that's the fun stuff in the audiobook world. Yeah. Can I tell you a quick story about it? Sure, please, please. So I did a book called um, uh, American Sucker by David Denby, who used to be the film critic for The New Yorker. It was about him losing all his money in the stock market. Okay. It was a great book. I read it. I was really impressed with it. He he, uh, I saw that he was doing an in-store uh, reading and the signing of his book. I thought, oh, I'll go see it, and I'd, I'd like to meet him. So I go to see it. I stand in line like everybody else and I'm not thinking clearly. <laughs> I'm just like my, I'm just not thinking. And I get to him and he says, hi, how are you doing? I say, hi, I'm the guy who read your book. Like literally he's thinking red. He goes, yeah. Did you like it? And I said, no, no. Now I feel stupid. I said, no, no. I read it out loud. Okay. See, good. <laughs> like, thanks. I'm so clumsy. I said, and he said, uh-huh. And so finally his handler said, no, he read the audio book and he went, he didn't really understand that thinking I was a person who read. So I said, never mind. Never mind. Nice to meet you. Jeez. Oh, the disaster. I'm yeah. the guy who read your book, like a schmuck. I'm the guy who read your book. Oh yeah. Yeah. I couldn't think a couple other people read it too. Yeah. yeah. Goodbye. Next. You Goodbye. know, you know what they say, like when you're right, like trying to prepare for an exam, you're in like, whether, you know, a, a test at school or whatever, writing makes you remember but I've, I don't read a lot. I, I tend to do a lot of audio books. You know, a lot of times when I used to travel back before uh, the pandemic, I would listen to books on tape in the car all the time, audio, audio books, and I would retain a lot of it. Um, but I imagine reading a book out loud would really make you remember that story more. No or yes or no? No, not for me. Okay. I mean, maybe it's, because it's not it's 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 not just reading you're you're doing a lot of things other than reading worrying about your voice you're worrying about your voice you worried did my stomach just growl where am i in the page did i pronounce that word correctly does the person behind the window hate me do i hate myself yeah I, did i say what's written on the page and not what i'm thinking you know i mean that makes know, sense literally there's a million things going on and so i mean it's kind of uh i think of it as sort of eye mouth and the brain is back here sort of missing out you know it's kind of 
Mm-hmm. It's like, I, 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 you know, I could go home after reading six or seven hours at a studio and go, I have no idea what I read. I don't know, you know, I mean, it's just, it's because it's, and also, you know, a lot of times you stop for pronunciations. And then you forgot where you were. And, and, and so you have no flow, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so it's more about getting the pronunciation right. And so, well, so no, it's, it's not, I, I, I'm good at it, I think, because mm-hmm. I've done it enough. But it's not as enjoyable as I would like it to be sometimes, because it, it's just within the first 15 minutes, you think, oh, Lordy, oh, Lordy, I'm going to be here for the next five days yeah. reading this. And I, I'm exhausted already, you know? Yeah. I'm really it's, glad though you explained it like that, too. Uh, happening about these outside factors, because the same thing happens here on the show. Uh, as much as it looks like uh, I know what I'm doing here and I'm, I'm taking everything it look like you know what you're doing well that's true okay. thank you thank you for, for your honesty i've got four five screens going and oh, okay. and i'm worried about train wrecks right because in the, the live nature of shows you, there's train wrecks fortunately knock on wood canadian wood here right now nothing everything's been going good but people will say to me after they'll say oh that was so cool when dennis said such and such well, that'd be so cool that was so cool when vince said this on your show i'm like they said that on my show and yeah. I don't remember it because I'm so focused uh, and I'm trying to pay attention and try to nod. Yes, I'm hearing you, but there's, I'm always worried about the train wrecks, well, right? So did you read, when I read interviews with David Letterman, when he was, uh, when he wrapped up his show, he, mm-hmm. he said the reason he wraps it up is he realized he'd go home to Connecticut and, and his wife would say who was on the show and he couldn't remember. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, that's a good problem to have at the same time. I noticed, by the way, that um, I don't look bald uh, like Rex did. You look, Rex lo- you have really luxuri- luxurious hair going on. It's like the more the I, show goes on, you're growing more as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Rex. <laughs> oh, wait, we've got two more audio questions here as well. This one is from uh, Sharon D. And I believe they're going to be possibly Say audio. name again? It's a beautiful name. Sharon D. Yeah. I think it's Sharon. from Sherry and Randy, her parents, I think. I think that's how, why oh, they named her. Oh, it's Sharon D. Mm-hmm. She also goes by Blazy Gardner on Twitter as well, too. Blazy Gardner. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for being with us tonight. I'm Sharon D. from North Carolina. And I, um, I know you do uh, narration of audiobooks. You've won several awards. And your book, um, your narration of the book, The Gene, um, was selected as best audiobook of the year by Amazon. So my question for you is, what is your favorite type of book to narrate? And is there a book out there that you would love to do that you haven't had the opportunity yet? Thank you for being with us. Hope you have a great night. That's a good one. Hey, thank you. Uh, thank you, by the way, for mentioning that. Yeah, that, like I said, it was selected audiobook of the year. Um, uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee, uh, who wrote The Gene, also wrote The Emperor of All Maladies, which is the book about cancer that they made a series about. Him. Okay. He's a doctor. And, and that my favorite kind of book to read now these days is nonfiction, um, mostly because I, I'm terrible with accents. Um, you know, a lot of actors, there are actors not a lot, but there are actors who can, you know, do a French accent, and mm-hmm. a German accent. And, you know, I, pre- I pretty much have this louder or softer. This is my accent right here. Yeah. So, um, so nonfiction books tend to not have characters, you know, uh, that you have to. So I, I'm a little more comfortable with nonfiction. I mean, I do f- fiction books, but um, nonfiction. Well, I, I forget that there was something else in there. Like, do, is there a book I want to do that? I yeah. They- yeah. I mean, there are some classic books that I would love to tackle. I, I but uh, you know, it, for me to say them would sound so pretentious. Well, like, like green I, eggs and ham or. Ah, 
See, that's the thing. If, if you've ever read to young children, if you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to read you a story before you go to bed and you've fallen asleep mm-hmm. while you're reading to the kid and the kid gives you a, yep. a thing. Oh, yeah. like or that. you just That's get... what it's like reading an audiobook. I Because you don't know something. I've been very sleepy in studios. Just like thinking, oh, God, this is, you know. Have you ever tried to do like we do with a kid sometime? You really want to get them to sleep and you skip pages. Oh, good. And they live happily ever after. Good night. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Skip a chapter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, then you, you notice that your paycheck is about five pages less too, right? Yeah. No, yeah. No, I don't get paid by the word anymore. No. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll jump over to another one here as well. This is from uh, Kathy and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name right. Ladas, L-A-D-I-S. One of our friends here as well too. And we'll see what she has to say. I forget what hers was about. Hi, Dennis and Eric. This is Kathy from Florida. Dennis, in Season 5, Episode 6, Wexler versus McGill, the scene where Kim apologizes to Rich for her behavior the day before. I love Rich's professionalism in how he responds to her apology. Could you share your thoughts on this scene with us? By the way, thank you, because if it wasn't for you, I never, ever would have tried a Moscow Mule. Very nice. I had no idea what a Moscow Mule was. Till I got there. And in fact, I had to add, I mean, this shows you my ignorance. I didn't even understand the whole thing about them being in copper bowls. And I had to ask about it. And of course, like anything, like when you learn a new word and then all of a sudden you hear it all everywhere, everywhere you go. Yeah. I, I, you know, everywhere I see it when, when I, when you used to be able to walk around New York, there are signs in front of the stores of Moscow mules in a copper mug. So, um, my thoughts about I think we've we've talked Touch about base, yeah. yeah. I thought about it was I wanted her. I was glad she apologized. I mm-hmm. was really glad she apologized because and I was sorry that I. I feel like I was so snippy with her telling her that I didn't buy her what she was doing. Yeah, I mean, clearly it was something off and I probably could have handled it better, but I was upset. Mm-hmm. And so I was glad she I mean, I'm glad she copped to it, but. There was also, you know, there was also something in the back of my mind that there's, there's something still off and I don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, that happens in, in any workplace. I mean, you might have an employee that you're very, very close with or a, a, a colleague and, you know, all of a sudden you just have a, a, a big fight, you know, and you, you work it out and either the dynamic gets even better or goes the opposite direction. But I, I think it was, it was a very interesting brief turning point there for a moment. And then, you know, how also too, you know, you, you know, the two of you walked off and made sure everyone was seen. I uh, was, saw everyone you saw us go off to lunch. Yeah, yeah. That was important as well. Yeah. Restore yeah. the morale. Yeah. It's, I don't think they showed, see, that's another thing. I think we, there was more to that exit than they, they shot. Okay. I mean, than, that they showed. So interesting, the choices that they make. And they're always fantastic. I mean, I'd say I have no quibble with it at all. Yeah. I don't know if we talk, this is one of those things where we're t- when we talk about uh, waiting for potential train wrecks and we forget if I've asked you a question or not. This is from the Vivid Kiwi. And I know you and I talked about this either off the air or maybe we started at the top. Did we address this on the air about who is Coakley? Did we, uh, I don't know if we I talked about- I don't remember, uh, but Schweikert and Coakley, uh, I, I, we, we would make a joke that Coakley was dead. Okay. And um, I, I would say he's just like Marley of Scrooge and Marley. Yes. And they would be Schweikert and Schweikert. There you, you go. Know? Or Schweikert or Schweikert and uh, what's her last name? Rex, Wexhorn. Wexley. Right. <laughs> Wexley. Yeah. Uh, no, no, just Schweikert. What yeah. am I doing? 
What am I doing? I'm giving billing to her. Yeah, that's from the Vivid Kiwi. Vivid Kiwi does some great uh, Better Call Saul theories. You got to check out that channel. So that was a question from him. I will. A question uh, from Bob Rich earlier. I didn't get a chance to ask Bob. Bob's a writer himself. Says, Dennis, you've been in great shows focused on law, mysteries, and crime, uh, such as The X-Files, The Fugitive, Monk, Dragnet, and CSI. What are the unique qualities of Better Call Saul that make it distinctive? Family being one of them, but yeah. What do you think that makes it stand out as a unique? Well, first of all, I was in Dragnet. Um, I, maybe I was. I think there was a version of Dragnet that I did an episode of. I can, you know, six of those things I don't remember anything about. <laughs> uh, you know, the answer is the writing. The yes. writing in, in, name those shows again. It says uh, X-Files, Fugitive. Stop, stop. X-Files was Vince. The mm-hmm. first time that I worked with Vince, or that I didn't know that I worked with Vince, it was his script, mm-hmm. was an episode of the X-Files that I did. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking this is kind of great. Um, and also it was, a, it was also another set that had a very positive vibe, a little silly. I, there was a lot of joking going on, but, but um, <laughs> this, the show was called, if you want to look for it, okay. it was called, the episode was called smoke. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't realize that I had worked with him until the one time that I had a conversation with Vince Gilligan uh, at the, at a rap party at the end of the fourth season. And he, he reminded me of that. And uh, uh, there was an actor in there that had to have bugs. I think the storyline was there was bugs in the tobacco. And when people smoked the tobacco, the bugs would come alive and then it would get into their lungs. And then they would, I don't know, something, something X file-ish. Yeah. And uh, this poor actor, I forget his name, but he had to put stuff to block up his ears and block up his nose keep his mouth closed. And they had real show business bugs like to crawl all over him. I said, this poor clown. I just, this is not, I would say get another, this is not my, on my contract. Yeah. That was the X-Files. And this, again, again, this was sort of pre-CGI. I mean, you know, you could, these days you'd CGI. What were the other law shows? Um, Dragnet CSI. Dragnet and CSI and of the fugitive. CSI, I was just a, on a TV monitor. I was a, the head of a cult or something on a TV monitor. And that was a show. It's a perfect example of, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm shooting myself in the foot here, but uh, it was a perfect example of a show where, you know, you just, the guy would go, Michael, could you move? To, it's Dennis. Yeah. Okay. Michael, could you move to the, you know, it's not a very good experience. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you, you've had so many different roles. I mean, I've made a list of them tonight. We'll talk about it more. But again, you know what? The, the thing is, I have probably about 10 questions of my own that I didn't even uh, ask. And I, I don't mind that. I'd rather ask questions from our audience here. But that means I can invite you back. And I know the uh, fans would love to have you here. That's it. I'm done. Are I'm you done? Else. Well, how about you do an audio book of the, tonight's episode? How about you do that? Oh, yeah. The scripted version of it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll no, send you my script. Questions? I'd love to hear one. Oh no, it's good. We're gonna we're gonna be wrapping up in a moment, and it's oh, more it's okay. more for more okay. so for the the viewers here. We can ask you one more here from Shashank Vicheri though. Uh, Shashank says, "How do you think Richard would have uh, computed Kim's decision of leaving Schweikart and Coakley?" So it, yeah, how, would, obviously you'd never want to lose her. You want to get her so bad uh, in the firm, but how would you uh, compute the decision to leave? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by compute, but I think I was devastated. Right, right. Uh, I, I think th- uh, they they meant for me to be devastated. And I, I don't remember whether the line was left in, but when she walked away from me, the line that was written for me was, please, you don't have to do this. And I don't think that was left in to the final cut. Right. Um, and that was probably for time and not, or, or it could be for performance. I mean, you never know. Mm-hmm. But but 
I, I'm pretty sure it was for time because that I, I didn't want her to do it. Yeah. I didn't want her to go. Yeah. So I think that's how he felt. Um, who knows if she's going to need him in the future? I really, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen to her? I know. Who knows I know what's going to happen to anybody. I just, that, that last episode of the last, the last episode of season five, was one of the scariest things I've ever watched. I mean, just thought it was great. And I just want to say one other thing. Mm -hmm. I thought the episode, because I remember last week you were talking about favorite episodes. The episode, uh, the last uh, episode of season three uh, before Chuck died uh, in the courtroom, that mm -hmm. courtroom scene, I thought Bob should have gotten a, an Emmy for that. I thought Michael McKean should have gotten an Emmy for that. And I, I do think that uh, Ray should be Emmy nominated every year. And why, right? Well, I mean, everyone, everyone knows she's the greatest thing on television. Like, as we the New York up, Times, the New York Times ran a thing about people who were snubbed in the Emmy Awards just a few days ago, and they mentioned her. You know, I think we got nominated in the SAG Awards as Best Ensemble, mm -hmm. which is awfully nice. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, of, Ray, Ray deserves to be. I mean, Ray, Ray can do anything. She can. I'm really very, very impressed with her. That's right. Well, I, I made a note here on the somewhere in my script. I, I can't dig it up, but I made a note basically saying that this show could be all about Ray Seahorn. That where I mean, what, this show here could be strictly, uh, you know, a patronage to Ray Seahorn, and fans would still watch it every single week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, because yeah. that that question comes up. But probably my last five guests has been focusing on you know questions about Ray. Everyone has the the greatest things to say about her, and when she come on the one time, she's been on twice. Before going on the air, we started talking about 70s furniture because we, you know, come from the same, you know, upbringing as parents had uh -huh. dangerous furniture. We could have dedicated an entire episode to cutting our knees, falling through glass coffee tables, stereos with the lids, you know. Oh, yeah, that was, we had a great time just with that alone. Yeah, she's yeah. wonderful. Well, listen, you have been an absolute pleasure this evening. Uh, this is a great way to warm up a Friday evening uh, and for, for people's weekends. Uh, I will extend the invitation. I know you've already told me you never want to have anything to do with me again. You're never coming back. But I'm Canadian, and I'm going to ask you very nicely. I have nice to tell the same story, so I got nothing else. Oh, uh, no. We got lots more questions. The fans will have more as well, because actually we had to turn away a few questions tonight. So we're going to we'll invite you back when you have some time. And it looks like what we're being told, second week in March, the filming is beginning. So... This is the rumor. That's right. Let's keep our fingers crossed. And I think Bob might have started healthy And everybody stays healthy out there. And thank you very much, everyone, for your questions. It was it was delightful. I appreciate it. Thank you as well. Just a few thank yous as well here, too. Obviously, uh, to, to you, Dennis, for coming on. Uh, and I always have to make notes because sometimes I forget. I want to thank our friends Warren and Rachel at Bobbleheads.com. They bring you all those cool. You can probably see them in the back. You can't see them, but the fans can. Uh, the uh, Better Call Saul Bobbleheads. We want to thank our channel members, our Patreon supporters, our channel moderators, YouTube subscribers, Super Chatters, PayPal donor donators, and people that buy our merch here at the Broadstash Boutique. We also want to uh, encourage you to hit the subscribe button down below if you haven't done so already. We work just as hard to keep you as a subscriber as we did to get you. And uh, we'd like to welcome everyone uh, to our show next week, 9 p.m. Eastern. We have Edward and Mark, owners of the Breaking Bad store and ABQ to the program. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Inside the Giliverse. That is everything. We wish you a look at that. There you go. There you go. Better Call Saul represent. Does everybody have one of these? Let me have a look at that. Oh, that's, that's badass. Better Call Saul bingo. I love it. Nice. Where did you, where did you get that? There, they were um, actually they were sent to me. Somebody found them and sent them to me. But there mm. was a bunch of them on Twitter somewhere. Uh, I guess AMC made them. Okay. 
It was nice, nice to see my, my you know, I, I, that was on my bucket list, being a bingo card. But there you did it. Never that Being on a bingo card was never really in your bingo card, was it? No, no. no I've been waiting for the opportunity to say that all day. <laughs> Listen, thanks so much, everyone. We will see you next week. And uh, don't go away, Rich. I'll say goodbye to you, Rich. <laughs> I'm going to say goodbye to Rich. Don't go away, Dennis. We'll say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, we'll see you next time right here on Inside the Gillivers. And until then, cheers. Thanks again for tuning into Inside the Gillivers with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. 